Hey everyone, good to see you all in the brave old crowd coming to Grace Christian Church. Somebody asked me uh, just yesterday, do you have any symptoms of the coronavirus? And I said, yes I do. I have all of the symptoms of the coronavirus. And they said, wow, really? I said, yeah, but I watched a documentary last week about throat cancer. It turned out I had all the, all the symptoms of throat cancer. The week before that, they were do, I watched a, a program about hip operations. And guess what? I began to get a sore hip. So you kind of have to be a little bit skeptical when you're talking about having all the symptoms. Because, and no, I don't actually have all the symptoms, just for the record. But you know, it's a strange thing. We can become hypochondriac in, this, in the current climate. Can't we, brothers and sisters? A few of you, a few of us can, and the rest of us know I'm walking by faith. We're going to be looking again tonight at the book of Daniel. I'll try not to keep you too long. Not that, of course, you're exactly in a hurry anywhere tonight. What can you do? But we're going to be looking tonight at Daniel again, looking at God's word. We're going to be looking at Daniel. The key thing about Daniel, I've said it before, I'll say it again, is that this is the story of real life people in real life situations Dealing with real problems, real challenges, and real difficulties. These aren't made up stories. They're not parables. They're not machiad, dramatic events. They're actual history written down so that us, the people of God, can learn from them. May God bless us as we read his word tonight. Ready and say amen. When we looked a couple of weeks ago, we began week one with uh, Daniel, a life in exile, and we looked about how Daniel ended up there. We looked at part one, it was called a road, the road to Babylon, and how it was the Israelites ended up being in exile. And we talked about how the Bible says that we're all, in some sense, in exile. Spiritually, we are in exile so long as we are away from God and away from our true home. And we looked about how these guys were immersed in this alien and strange culture. And yet, despite the fact that they were strangers in a strange land with broken hearts, having been taken away from their own home, they still prospered and they still thrived there because God was with them. We saw them, um, we saw how God was with them in part two when we looked at the impossible dream, which was a dream that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the evil, narcissistic, paranoid, weak king of the Babylonian empire, when he had this really bad dream and he threatened everyone, he told all of his astrologers and dream interpreters and chanters that if they didn't interpret a dream, he would behead them. He would kill them and then he would reduce their houses to rubble. But God spoke through Daniel and he was able to interpret the dream. We're going to look at the dream maybe in a few weeks' time because it all, part, it all forms part of what's they call the eschatological view or the futurist view of the book of Daniel. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. We're going to look tonight at chapter 3. So these guys now have been in Babylon at this stage probably for about 30 years. So they've been about 30 years in Babylon. Sorry, somebody's texting me even as I speak. Well, thank you for that. Um, Somebody, uh, uh, be, these guys have been in Babylon for about 30 years. When we read the first episode, they have just arrived. The second episode happens about 10 years after they've arrived. And now we're about 20 years after that episode again. And something else strange happens. Nebuchadnezzar, who's a kind of a strange kind of a leader, wants to unify his empire. And to unify his empire, the best way to do that is to get everybody to worship the same God or gods. And so he has a plan. And we're going to look at that plan in a second. Tonight's message is called Even If. You know, in the strange climate that we now live in, we all need to have even if faith. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. But we do need to have faith at this time because we don't know what's coming. We don't know how bad the current climate is going to get. And we don't know how much more difficult it's going to be. But we know this. We are reminded continually by the current fear that we are not in control. 
But we who know God know this. He is in control. He's in control of the whole lot in everything. He watches over his people. This story in Daniel chapter 3 is actually quite a big chapter. It's quite a long chapter. I'm not going to look at it all. I'm not going to look at all the verses and I'm going to abridge it a little bit. But it's basically told in three um, in three parts. The first part is the, what you might call the setup. It's the setup of the situation, how they got themselves into this hot water. Then you get to the showdown and then you get to the test. So we're going to start off with the setup. And the setup begins like this. We're going to look at Daniel's, Daniel chapter 3. Here we go. God bless us as we read. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of of Babylon. Now if you want to know how high 90 feet tall is, it's about three times the height of this building approximately. This building is about 30 feet tall, maybe 35, but it's there, thereabouts. It's about three times the height of this building. Set on this long, wide, open, flat plain, this huge, giant statue of gold has been made by this king. His purpose is to unify and to get everybody together and everybody to worship. Now, there's a lot of debate about what this image was. What was it? Was it one of the gods? Was it Bel or, Mur- or Marduk? Was it Nebo, one of the gods of the Babylonians? But in all likelihood, it was probably a statue of himself. You know, a humble kind of a guy, no pride, no narcissism, just really humbly made a huge 90-foot statue of himself. He sent a message to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So he sets up the statue, calls all the big wigs to come out, and the purpose was when a certain tune was played by the state band, they would all have to bow down before the statue, and in doing so, they would demonstrate their loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. Loyalty was really, really important to him because he was paranoid. He saw shadows moving where there was no shadows. He felt bumps in the night when there was no bumps in the night. He was paranoid. He was so afraid. It's written as annuals about how, how, how afraid he was that at any moment now somebody was going to knife him and take his empire. But you see, back in those days, it wasn't like, shall we just have to wait for the next election and we'll vote Nebuchadnezzar out because we don't like him anymore. There was no single transferable vote. There was no one man, one vote. There was no vote the only way to get rid of an emperor was to kill him that was the only way and so as a result they ended up being really really paranoid they lived in paranoid circumstances they were constantly watched just think Saddam Hussein on steroids that's how paranoid that this fella was really really super paranoid and so he calls them out but these three guys friends of Daniel Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego they refused to bow down They refuse to bow down to the statue. When the music plays, they don't bow down. You think to yourself, lads, how easy would it have been? But we'll get to that in a second. You know, when I was growing up, if somebody went around whispering in somebody's ear, or went telling somebody, if you went and told, I'm going to tell the teacher about you, or somebody would say, I'm going to tell mam what you did, they were always known as a telltale tattler. That's what they were called. They always said, you know that, they, they whisper in the people's ears. Well, do you know what? These guys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, because they had come from, from the land of Israel, and because they had gone up through the ranks so quickly, they put a lot of noses out of joint. They'd made a lot of enemies in the king's court. You know, sometimes when God favors your life, people around you mightn't necessarily like it. 
When God favors you in your workplace, somebody's probably going to get their nose out of joint. And they won't be sitting there with their nose. They say, what's wrong with you? I'm very upset with you. You're not going to necessarily notice it. And they may not be very obvious. But you will upset people sometimes if God blesses you and you have a bit of success and you move forward. Do you know what? Ireland especially is full of begrudgers. Begrudgery is our national pastime. If you don't know what begrudgery means, it means envy to the point of wishing that the other person didn't have what they had. Or that they managed to get it by some snaky means. That's what begrudgery is. So you have some telltale tattlers. And what do they do? They decide to tell Nebuchadnezzar about the three. I'm just setting up the story for you guys in case you're wondering. What do they do? They tell, decide to tell the king. Here's it goes. It says, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who wouldn't bow down to the king's idol. There are some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. And look at the lies they start telling. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. No attention to you. Telling lies. They refuse to serve our gods and don't worship the gold statue that you've set up. It is true they wouldn't serve the gods, but it isn't true that they pay no attention to the king. That was a lie. It wasn't true. But it was great because it set up Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Nebuchadnezzar, if you give him his proper pronunciation. They set him and they get him in a corner against these Jews because they want to sort them out. Do you know the book of Proverbs says that if you dig a pit for someone, you will fall into it yourself. If you roll back a stone to get somebody and roll it down upon them, it will roll back on top of you. You have to be very careful if you're planning to get your revenge. Oh, no, no, no. Not a good idea. These guys were setting up. They were setting up the Jews. You know, sometimes people, I know there's people inside in this room and people have told lies about you. People have told lies and have said things about you that aren't true. You know what? Don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't take it on board. Don't worry about it. God will justify you. God will look after you. You don't have to come out and rage and defend and prove your case. God will defend you if you're in the right. Would anyone say amen? amen? And so they set it up beautifully. They set it up perfect. They have a king who's wild with paranoia and narcissism and pride. And he's unsettled about his throne. And they now have a very perfectly set up enemy who won't bow down. He gives one command. He just gives one command and says, why won't you just bow down? You know, if it was me, you'd wonder sometimes. You know, Because I, I, I've read this since I became a Christian, however number of years ago. And you'd often think to yourself, you know, how easy it would have been for them to just, you know, just... just just bow down, nobody's looking, nobody's telling any tales, just bow down when the music plays. And should, that'd be the end of it then, like. And you could just say, Lord, I know I'm bowing down on the outside, but on the inside I'm staying pure in my heart. And you could kind of, you could kind of make some kind of justification for it. Lord, I know that on the outside I'm kneeling, but on the inside you know, Lord, I'm standing. Now, I would suggest you try that when the guardie pull you over. And they say, you were doing 150 in 120 kilometer zone. You say to them, oh no, that was only on the outside. In my heart, I was doing 120 kilometers per hour. What we do is what counts. It doesn't matter what's in your, with respect, don't get me wrong. It doesn't matter what's in your heart. It's what you do that counts. Well, you know, darling, I love you, but I didn't mean to beat you. No, 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 no. What's in your heart doesn't count. You know I love you with all my heart. No, you don't. You don't really. It's what you do. Would anyone say amen? Amen. 
Because no matter how emotionally they felt about it, they were not going to bow down to this idol. And you know, it's always a wise thing. If you want to live long and prosper, don't upset the despotic king of an ancient empire. And that's the situation that these real life people in this real life situation found themselves in. And Nebuchadnezzar was thrilled and he said, Asher, it's all be grand, don't worry about it. No, not quite. And so you have the showdown. The showdown between the faithful people of God and the despotic evil king. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. What? After all I did for them, bringing them up into my court, giving them positions of influence, they won't bow down. They're not going to bow down to my statue after all I've done for them. I'm going to sort them out. And if you got a king like that normally into a rage, things didn't end well for you. And he had previous, because if you read in chapter 2, you read that when they couldn't interpret his dream, that is his own astrologers and magicians, he said, if you don't interpret this dream, I'm going to rip you limb from limb, and he meant it, and I'm going to reduce your houses to rubble. That's what I'm going to do. That's what he had threatened to do. He's got previous on this. He's well able to kill left, right and centre. In fact, when it eventually was decided that they couldn't interpret the dream, he said he sent out his, the, chief of, the chief of his military to kill every single one of them. And only Daniel's prophetic, energetic, insightful, wise response saved their lives. But he flies into a rage and he he brings them before them. And he, you know, you can just imagine the scene. They're brought in. I mean, you can, you can think, think, oh yes, they were so strong and so mighty. I bet you this, they were shaken with fear. You didn't come before an emperor with your life on the line without a little bit of fear in your system. You know that fear that makes your legs shake and your body quiver and you can't really talk properly because you've got... I'll give you one more chance. One more chance. Come on, guys. I'm not a bad guy, is what he basically said in effect. I'm not a bad guy. I'm going to give you one more chance. Come and bow down to the worship and worship the statue I've made. But if you refuse, I'm going to pick up your teeny little bodies and I'm going to throw you into a furnace. You are going to be burned to death. And the furnace he was talking about was not some little fireside turf fire with somebody playing a gentle violin next to it for, bo- for board pneumonia. This was a furnace in which metal was smelted. So you're talking temperatures here or there, thereabouts, about 1,200 degrees or so. The kind of temperature that you kind of incinerate at pretty quick. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the burning furnace. And then this is where Nebuchadnezzar makes his mistake. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. <laughs> You're so faithful. You're lovely boys, Mishakatra, Shadrach, and Abednego. But I am Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to throw you into the furnace, and we'll see what God will help you out then. And this is a refrain that happens time and time again. And the curious thing about it is, when you read the Old Testament, you find it's not when God's people are threatened or insulted that God responds with power and might. But when God himself is threatened or insulted, it's then that their back goes up. For instance, when Moses stood before Pharaoh, Moses said to Pharaoh, the Lord has sent me to say to you, let my people go. To which Pharaoh sat back in his Egyptian court and said, the Lord, is that right? 
I don't know who the Lord is. And I will not let his people go. And up to that point, things might have worked out okay. But once he had insulted God, things began to change. And that's what you see in this story. This story is as much about God, about God's dignity, about God being recognized, about the authority of God, as it is about protecting the people that carry his name. You carry his name. When you go into work, you go into home, you carry his name. You are now the carriers of the name of the Lord. You are the ones who carry the name of Jesus into your life situations. And those are the people that God defends because he is defending his own name. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? You know, if it was me, I'd be afraid. I know you probably wouldn't because you're all much braver than I am and so on and so forth. And I love how their response was. Their response was not, come here, who do you think you are? They were very respectful in their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then the rubber hit, what fantastic confidence. You can throw us into the fire, Right? But our God is able to rescue us. Your God is able to rescue you too. Amen? Amen? Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, your God is able to rescue you too. If you're stuck in a situation, if you're stuck with a sickness, if you're stuck with a circumstance, your God is able to rescue you too. But then they raised it a little bit further to the challenge for all of us, I think, this evening. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. We won't do it. Even if he doesn't rescue us, we're still not going to do it. Even if he doesn't, you know, Do you know what God is looking for? He's looking for people who will say, Lord, bless me. But even if you don't, I'm still going to follow you. Lord, bring that perfect person into my life so that I can build a marriage relationship with them. Lord, do that for me. But even if you don't, I will still follow you. Lord, will you prosper my home and look after my family and look after me? But even if you don't, I'm still going to follow you. Those are the people that God is looking for. The even if group of people who have who have an attitude of saying lord your will be done not my will be done you see sometimes i've heard it said that christians should pray with great confidence and they should pray with faith in every situation and i remember somebody once dismissed i i I prayed a prayer and and it was dismissed afterwards it was this person was in the habit of dismissing prayers it doesn't matter but they dismissed the person said why do you pray at the end of all of your prayers god let your will be done and not mine don't you why don't you have faith why don't you have faith to declare to claim it to say it out loud and i said you know what when you say let your will be done it's not a lack of faith it's a lack of knowledge because i don't know exactly what your will is god 
I don't know exactly what your will is in this situation. There's some things that I know exactly what God's will is. I know that he wants everyone everywhere to repent and come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. I know that. So I can pray that with great confidence. But I don't necessarily know that he wants to heal my Auntie Maisie's bunion on her toe. I'm not 100% sure about that. I'm not 100% sure about that. There are many things in my life and in your life. You don't know if that's what God wants for your life. And it's okay to pray, Lord, in the absence of my knowledge of your will, let your will be done. Remember, even Jesus prayed, Father, let your will be done and not mine, the Father's will. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar said, lads, I really admire your faith. He said, lads, you are just so good. You're just amazing, really, honestly. That's it. Just let these guys go. They're so good. No, 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 no. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face distorted with rage. His face was distorted with rage. It twisted out of shape. He was so mad. Now, if you are sitting before, I've said it before, a despotic king in the ancient Near East, you do not want his face to distort with rage. Because it normally means the end of you, the end of your family, and the end of all belong to you. That's not what you want. And in this moment, you look at these guys standing there, and I guarantee you they were afraid. You see, we might think that they're fearless. They were fearless. Oh, it's a fearless faith. I don't believe it was a fearless faith. I don't think it was fearless at all. And you know what? For all of us here, I don't know will any of us ever truly be fearless. But you know what I think we can? We can fear less. Are you with me? Do you understand where I'm going with that? You see, we we think, oh, you must be fearless. I'll tell you what fearless is. Fearless is a bit thick. I see fellas driving around at the age of 19 and 20 in big roaring cars. Whom, 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 whom. And they're driving around the the roads near where I live or on the Sutherland Road. And they go past you. And they're driving and they have no fear. In actual fact, Neuroscience, brain neuroscience, says that the part of the brain which develops and becomes conscious of risk isn't completed until we're about 23 years of age. And actually, they've got it right down to the age 23. And that, by the way, is for men. Women have that part of their brain developed at the age of about three, okay? (laughs) But men, because we, and that's why we die younger, like, (laughs) don't don't kid yourself, like, men just take these ridiculous risks Because they're fearless when you look into the eyes of that 19 or 20 year old sitting at the steering wheel. And you go, that that fella's out of his head. He's fearless. He really is fearless. He doesn't realize that if you drive at 120 kilometers per hour going around the hairpin bend, you might crash. He just doesn't get it. Ask Grand, I'll pull it to another gear. There's no more gears. There's only the corner and the car going really fast. You see... That's fearless. That's stu- With respect, that's thick. When we want to be, Lord, I just want to be fearless. That's thick. Or you don't want to be afraid of hammering your hand with a hammer or something, is it? You don't want to be afraid of if the guards come knocking at the door. You want to go, hey, come thou and get me, O Garda. No. You want to say, I cough on me. I want to get coronavirus. I'm fearless. 
I mean no disrespect. Fearlessness, that's muppetry in the highest order. If you have no fear, I love what one writer said. He said, if there is something to be afraid of, such as a lion, fear is the appropriate response. If a guy comes running in here with an AK-47 and shouts, Allah Akbar! Run out the door. Don't send him a go. I am bulletproof. No. <laughs> that's not fearless. That's just stupid. So these guys were not fearless. They were human beings. Is there anyone here who isn't a human being? I, I like to check every now and again just in case a zombie has come in or something. No. They had fear. Just like you have fear. Just like I have fear. Just like every human living being has fear. No, we'll never be fearless, but I really do think that by God's grace and with a bit of faith, we can fear less. There can be less fear in our lives. By turning our anxieties into prayers like I was talking about on Sunday last, by turning the worries into actual prayers, we drive the fear off. This is Max Lucado. He's a fantastic, inspirational Christian writer. And this is what he said about fear and faith. I loved it. He says, the presence of fear does not mean you have no faith. Fear visits everyone, but make your fear a visitor and not a resident. It's okay if it visits you. It's all right to get a fright. Some people are prone to frights. I am prone to frights, believe it or not. No, if, if somebody jumps out from behind the door, I'll go, ah! you'll get the whole reaction from me. You know, really, you'll get the full reaction. But you know, that doesn't mean that fear has to be a resident in my life. Doesn't mean that has to be all over my life. And for these guys, they were afraid, I guarantee you, of facing 1,200 degrees Celsius inside in that furnace. They did not want to die. But they feared God more than they feared the king. They wanted to honor God more than they wanted to honor, uh, than they wanted to honor the king. They were not fearless but they were faithful. And so, they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> In the story, it says Nebuchadnezzar had a freaky. And he said, heat up the furnace to seven times hotter than usual. Now, seven times hotter than usual was not possible. You don't get a furnace up to seven or 8,000 degrees because it would just blow up. So it's a, it's, just a, it's a turn of phrase. But this is how it comes down to the test. Brothers and sisters... Every one of us is going to be tested. If your faith is never tested, you probably don't have any real faith. Tests are good for us. They're what's important for us. If you go to the doctor and you're not feeling so good, maybe this is a bad example today, and you're not feeling so good, you've been feeling a bit low on fatigue, and you know, you've, you can feel a lump under your arm or whatever. I, I don't know, sorry, I, I don't mean to be flippant, but imagine you're feeling uns, unwell and there's a lump on your leg. Let's go for a lump on your leg, something safe. There's a big lump on your leg and you go into the doctor and the doctor has a look. He goes, nah, you'll be grand. And you say, aren't you going to run any tests? And you go, no, 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 it's fine, you're fine. Yeah, but doctor, I, 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 can't, I, I can't breathe and, and, and my eyesight is beginning to fade and I'm going deaf. No, 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 you'll be fine, honestly, you'll be grand, honestly. You wouldn't be too delighted if you didn't do tests, would you? you don't, nobody wants to go into the doctor who goes, ah, <laughs> you'll be grand. Nobody wants to go to that doctor. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Every life has to be tested. Every life has to be tested. Would anyone say amen? amen. You see, we're not going to get it. I said it before. 
forgive me and I'll say it again. If my son came home with a result from an exam that was A+, plus, it's not going to happen, just for the record. <laughs> and I'd said, what did, you get in, what did you get? He said, I got an A+. Plus. You said, you got an A+. Plus? Yeah, I got an A+. Plus. What did you get it for? Well, you know, I, nothing. What, what do you mean nothing? No, they just gave me an A+. Plus. In what subject? Oh, no subject. They just gave me an A with a plus after it. You wouldn't take that seriously, would you? Every life has to be tested. Every faith will be tested. Some of you are, might be right in the middle of that test right now. When things aren't going so well or going according to the plan. Or going to the plan either that you had in your head or that society has put upon you. There'll be a test for every life. I love this. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed. You know, it was decent enough. At least they left them have their dignity. Dressed them fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, their robes, and other garments. Now, what's the significance of them being thrown in fully clothed? Well, if they were thrown in fully clothed, the first thing that would light would be their clothes because of spontaneous combustion. For instance, if you stand, if you have any kind of a, a, a naturally made fa- fabric on your body at about 620 to 650 degrees, that will spontaneously just light. It will just begin to burn instantaneously once you get to that type of heat. It's called spontaneous combustion once it reaches a certain thermal level. But we'll move on from the science right now. So they've sent them in all dressed, all dressed, and then it records this. Suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up and to his amazement he ex- exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And everybody said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To which he says, look, I see four men unbound and walking in the fire, around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth one looks like a God. Looks like a God. So in the middle of the fire, they're thrown in, their hands and feet are are bound up. They're flung into the furnace. The soldiers who throw them in are killed. That's all part of the story. They're thrown into the furnace. And the Nebuchadnezzar goes, "Wah!" They're not dead. Did, did, didn't we? Didn't we? What happened there? Who's, who's put me back? Guys, please don't do this to me. Thomas, stay tuned. Thank you. He jumps up and he says, what? Didn't we tie up three? Go on, give us one more click, Tom. Good man yourself. It's okay. Yeah, you're grand, you're grand, you're grand, you're grand, you're grand. I love myself, you're grand. He says, look. I see four men and they're unbound and walking around inside in the fire. And the fourth is like the, is like the son of a god. So like this is a slightly unusual event in that he would regularly have killed people by throwing them into a furnace. Quite common. He was actually known for it. He was known as, well, he wasn't known as, that's, I'm, I'm going to make this one up and say he was known as Nebuchadnezzar the burner. But there you go. Um, he was known to burn his enemies and burn the people that he was quite displeased with. But then he says, I see four men unbound and walking in the fire. Now, some people think mysteriously that this may be an, an Old Testament appearance of Christ, of Jesus, uh, what's known as a Christophany in the Old Testament. But it, it's not really clear if that's the case. It's either an angel or it is Jesus Christ himself that is inside in the fire with them. Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid of being in the fire. Because God will be with you. Amen? Amen? But I like the little piece that it says. So they're thrown into the fire tied up and when they get into the fire the testing fire they're unbound so despite being thrown into the fire tied up the only thing that comes off them in the fiery burning test is the ropes that tie them up and when we go through a trial 
And when we go through a test, it's the things that bind us up that end up falling off. Those the things that happen to come apart in our lives. We think, oh no, we're stuck with this river, but we go through the test and it's the ropes that actually end up breaking. We don't break, but the things that bind us up break if we're willing to go through the test. If we're willing to go through the test. And it goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace. We're not a million miles away from finished here, lads. Comes as close as he can to the door of the furnace. And I love the next line. And forgive my little indulgence on this one. He comes to that and he shouts, Sheet, Mish, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God. I shouldn't be laughing. Come out here. To which they said, nah, my grand. <laughs> to me, it's the most illogical comment I've ever heard. It's like picking up the dog at home and throwing him into the fire and saying, Fido, come out. Of course he's going to come out. Sorry, forgive me. When the is what? Of course they're going to come. He didn't have to go, I pray thee, come the hens from the furnace. They were like, yeah, we're coming, don't worry. I just think it's, anyway, sorry, forgive my little indulgence, lads. Okay, in that, I know you never see me cracking a joke, but there you go, just for this one time. Okay, leave me off. He calls them out of the furnace. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. The high officers and officials and the governors. Remember all the people who were bowing down to the idol. All the people who had gathered to see them being burned. Who had been whispering in the king's ear. Who had all bowed down before the idol. All the people who had done exactly what the king told them to do. Were all gathered. The high officers, the officials, the governors. All the people we read earlier. The advisors. They all crowded around and saw that the fire had not touched them. Next phrase. Most powerful in the book of Daniel. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Not one. And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. They didn't even smell of smoke. Now I have three teenage sons. As you are probably sick of hearing at this stage. And every now and again when they're out with their friends, they hang out with their friends and they'll build a bonfire wherever they are. And I will know that they have been at a bonfire hours earlier because they'll walk in and they will quote unquote smell like a campfire. You can smell them from 50 paces that they have been next to a fire. These guys didn't even smell of smoke. Hallelujah. Such was the purity of their deliverance. Such was the profundity of their deliverance. That they were able to walk out of this trial. As though they had never been in the furnace. Hallelujah. That's your lot and that's my lot. Would anyone say amen? amen. That's the God who saves quote unquote to the uttermost. That's the God who saves us completely. But I'll tell you something. That would not have been what would have happened in their life. If they hadn't said even if, even if, even if. Have you got that faith tonight? I, I think we should pray that God would make us an even if people. Would anyone say amen? amen? Imagine, and I can't, it's just impossible not to reference the way the world has gone in the last few weeks. Even if the worst comes, brothers and sisters. Because, let me tell you this. If, say, something like the coronavirus begins to kill a lot of people, don't think it will, but even if it does, I think Christians are going to die too. 
You can't say that. Yes, you can say that. Because do you know who died in the Black Death? Christians died in the Black Death. Christians died of the Spanish flu. Moreover, Christians were the people who went to minister to the people with the Black Death and then died in the process. They were the people who went to minister to the people with the Spanish flu and got it in the process. Sorry, lads, I don't want to burst your bubble. We're not going to all go around in a perfectly, absolutely, hermetically sealed life. We live in this world and we will experience the things that this world experiences. So this needs to be our attitude. That even if we don't come through, even if it doesn't work out the way I have it planned, that I'm still going to follow and honor God. Amen. Amen. Are we saying amen in reality? Because you know what? There's a promise written by Isaiah. Isaiah wrote this promise. And I firmly believe it to be true. I believe it to be true for your life. I believe it to be true for my life. I believe it to be true for these guys' lives. And he wrote it about 150 years before these three men, three literal historical people, went through a literal historical event, went through a real life situation. This is history. And this is what Isaiah said about the people of God. 150 years before that, he said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Not even one amen for that. Thank you, Gummy. See the first word of that sentence. Thank you, Denise. When, not if now. There might be a situation that possibly you might just, it might just happen if in case. No. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You, who was in the furnace with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I will be with you if or when you pass through the waters. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. A direct promise to these three men. You will not be set ablaze. And what does that mean? It means you won't be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, none of us are going to be destroyed. Hallelujah. None of us are going to face it. We sang about being at eternity shore. We we sang just a few minutes ago about being in God's presence forever. And yet in this life, we do know God's deliverance. Amen? Amen? We have known incredible healings, incredible deliverances, amazing answers to prayer. But we still need to be a people who say, even if that doesn't happen. I'm still going to follow the Lord. Will anyone pray that prayer tonight? Because I want to refer to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was an incredible, faithful follower of Jesus. He was rescued from a life of Judaism and persecuting the church. And he went through incredible battles and incredible situations. And this is what he wrote to the Corinthian church after all of his sufferings. He said, he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I take great hope from the experience of Christian believers who have experienced God's rescue. Maybe you need God's rescue today. Maybe the worship band will come up. We're going to sing the song... um, Our God is a God who saves. And his enemies will run for sure. You know, I want us to pray tonight. Will you stand with me for a second? And just let me finish off with a short epilogue just before we go to the song. At the end of the story, at the end of this chapter, it records this. I love this. 
Finally, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. But it was the test that made them ready to go into those positions. Would anyone say amen? amen? You know, sometimes we can be slaves to fear. I want us to pray tonight that we would, um, we would fear less. Would anyone say amen? Let's pray for an even if faith. Even if the coronavirus really gets out of control, we'll still be a people who follow the Lord. Amen. We're, still going, to, we're going to see this pass. Hallelujah. And let's keep our eyes on the one who controls the very elements. The earth, the wind, the fire, the water we read about in Isaiah. He is the one who rescues us. Let's just close our eyes for a second. If you're here tonight and you need the rescue of God in your life, you've got a situation in your life, you say, Lord, I am stuck in the middle of a situation. I want to hold on to that promise that says, even, I want to hold on to that promise and say, Lord, will you rescue me in my situation? I need you to reach down and pull me out of the situation right now, Lord, because the situation that I'm in, I can't control, but I want to look to the one who is in control. If that's your prayer tonight, will you raise your hand? I see your hands. I see your hands around the room. God bless you. We're going to pray in just a second. I'm going to invite you to come forward in a second. If you want to say tonight, Lord, I want to have an even if faith. I want to have the faith that these guys had, Lord. When they looked at their situation, looked at the challenge of it and said, I am going to follow God even if I don't see the plan work out exactly as I planned it. If you're somebody who wants to pray tonight and say, Lord, I want that even if faith, will you raise your hand? It's a case of building faith. I'm going to invite you to come to the front as we sing. We're going to sing, let God arise together. We're going to sing it out, hear the holy roar of God. Let's make our way to the front. Let's pray together for God's rescue and for that even if faith. Hallelujah.